With all due respect to Carmelo, four of their five starters are very good defenders. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. I'm going to talk about the 10 games we had on Sunday, an extraordinarily busy Sunday in the NBA. I'm going to preview Monday's three games. I'm going to look at the week ahead for daily and weekly uh, fantasy leagues. And I'm also going to talk about the, uh, the teams that, uh, that played on Friday and Saturday that I didn't get to cover. There'll be lots to talk about there. And I've got a Derek Rose Twitter discussion to get into, so I'm sure you're all going to be ready for that. You would have seen some of those tweets coming across your timeline today. I've got a little bit to say. So let's get to it. To it. Let's start with uh, this Derek Rose Whatever this is that's happening, Derek Rose was horrendous today for the Cavs. The Cavs were horrendous in general, but he was bad. He's been bad for many, many years. And I put out a tweet. I thought relatively innocuous. I said, Derek Rose is bad. That's it. Derek Rose is bad. And, you know, watching him today, I don't think you could really argue that, that he was, that he was bad. I've been saying that for two, three years, maybe that Derek Rose is not good anymore. I've said it plenty of times. He used to be my favorite player. He is also at number one of the ship bloke rankings. That's got nothing to do with his on-court play. He can drive and he can finish at the rim okay. He cannot shoot. He cannot distribute. He has poor vision. He is a bull hog and he plays no defense. He is not a good NBA player. He is not a starting caliber player. Hence why it took over three weeks for him to be signed in free agency and even then signed to a veteran minimum deal. But somehow Derek Rose, um, I don't want to use the word stand because I don't like it. So Derek Rose dick riders. Found, found my tweet saying Derek Rose is bad on Twitter and have been going back and forth at me. And a standard response, this happened a couple of times, and you've heard me talk about how the Derek Rose fans and the, and the uh, Rajan Rondo fans are, are probably the worst uh, group of fans on Twitter. Jeremy Lin fans are up there, but they're probably the, the worst group of fans uh, on Twitter or on all, all social media. So the Rose fans found this, you don't know anything about basketball, you don't watch the games, my eye test tells me Derek Rose is nice, he's really good, and I can... That's fine. He gets to the rim. He can do a highlight layup. We know that. He can do an occasional explosive play. We know that. Cannot pass. Averaging under two assists a game as a point guard. And I know LeBron is there and you can say, oh, he's playing with LeBron. Kyrie got six assists a game. So you can get some assists playing alongside LeBron. Dwayne Wade got more assists than that playing in Miami alongside LeBron. You can get assists. Derek Rose doesn't get assists. He didn't play alongside LeBron in New York. Oh, that was a triangle. That was a triangle. That's why I couldn't get assists there. Four assists. That's, that's really high in a triangle. Really high. Yeah, okay. Derek Rose is not good anymore. But you know, going back and forward with these people, you don't watch the games. He's still really good. No, he, he turned down all these big contracts because he wanted to go play on a minimum contract for the Cavs. That's why you know, every team was after him. All teams wanted to trade for him last season. Just the standard unprovable bullshit that gets thrown out there. But the one thing I did want to bring to your attention, and you would have seen me tweeting about this, is um, one of these gentlemen um, said that yeah, Derek Rose was better than 15 point starting point guards in the NBA. And he said, do you want me to name them? I said, sure. Go ahead and name them. And these are the names that came out of, uh, of this gentleman's mouth. And I assume it's a gentleman. Maybe it's a woman. So I apologize if you are a female. The starting point guards in the NBA that are currently, that Derek Rose is currently better than Lonzo Ball. Okay. You know what? I, I, I can, I can see that one. Dennis Smith Jr. Hmm. You would never take Rose over Ball or Smith. But I could say that if you wanted one game right now, Rose would possibly be better than both Ball and Smith. Smith is debatable. Jaron Grant, sure. No worries. Tony Parker, maybe. 
not actually playing at the moment, but maybe. This is where the, the list starts to go a little bit downhill, in my opinion, because the next name on the list is Jeff Teague. My name is Jeff. Tom Thibodeau used to coach Derek Rose. He could have signed Derek Rose. He didn't. He signed Jeff Teague because Jeff Teague is significantly better than Derek Rose. Ricky Rubio. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm going to say here. The Iron Shoulder Goran Dragic. Not not even remotely close. Not even close at all. Dazza Collison. Not close at all. Georgie Hill. Hill struggling. Still better than Rose. Jeremy Lin. Not playing. Still probably brings more of a positive impact to the court than what Rose does at the moment. Lord Alfred Payton. Sorry, mate. Payton's a better player than Rose. Uh, Drew Holiday. <laughs> no. Uh, Rajon Rondo. Not a Rondo fan. Rondo is better than Rose. Um, and the next, the next two I'm going to mention are, are the two that brought the biggest laugh to my face. The bigger, the more, um, it, it, it was incredulity that these names could be brought up. The first one of them was Ty Lawson. Apparently Ty Lawson in the year 2017, Derek Rose is a better starting point guard in the NBA than him. In large part, I would guess because Ty Lawson currently plays in China and is not a current starting NBA point guard. So there's that. So that was that. The next name was Kyle Lowry. So Derek Rose, at this point in 2017, in the year of our Lord, 2017, Derek Rose is a better player than Kyle Lowry. I feel like I'm fairly objective. You know that Derek Rose is number one on my ship bloke rankings. Number one, there's no uh, there's no debate about that. He, he is my number one ship bloke. But in terms of basketball talent, I think I can be pretty objective as to who I think is good, who I think is bad, and, and get past any of those issues that, that I may have with um with players like that or, or players that I may have said were, were good in the past and uh, you know, turned out not being good and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I think I'm fairly objective. But I, I cannot understand the mentality of going, th- you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to go through Twitter. I'm going to search Derek Rose's name and I'm going to see if someone said something bad for about him and I'm going to go in and I'm going to defend him because one day I'm going to meet Derek Rose and he's going to pat me on the back and say, Random Twitter user with 15 followers. I'm so glad that you said I was good. What? What's the thought process? What? What is going on here? I've got to defend him. I've got to defend him. No, you don't. You don't. Look, I, he used to be my favorite player. I can admit he's done. He's cooked. He's not good anymore. He used to be very, very good. He's no longer that. So, yeah, if you want to go have a bit of a laugh or maybe just because you want to self-sabotage your mental health. Go and have a look at my timeline and have a look at Derek Rowe's uh, Twitter discussions because it was uh it was a baffling a baffling time for me. It was a, it was a weird time in my life to uh to go through that and to, and look, I'm sitting here now and my phone is just going bananas with notifications still from this same same thread. I'm 100% sure. But I'm out. I cannot do it any longer. The, unless something just equally as baffling as Lowry better than Rose comes through, I don't think I'm going to be responding anymore. Now, that's that out of the way. We're going to talk about all this, all the action from Sunday. We're going to preview, uh, preview Monday's games as well. There is a, there is a lot to talk about. But what we're going to do, first of all, well, first of all, is talk about the, uh, the week ahead in the NBA to help you guys with your weekly lineups, with your, uh, with your, um, your, your daily lineups, how best to stream for the week as well. So we'll get into that. This is week. Week four in the NBA. We've got a, a decently balanced schedule. Starts off with a weird three-game Monday. Tuesday, which is normally a quiet day, is a 10-gamer this week. Wednesday and Thursday, back-to-back five games. Five for Wednesday, five for Thursday. So the NBA schedule is all out of whack because Wednesday we normally have you know, the 10, 12, 11 game days. I don't know why I said those numbers in that order. Uh, Friday, we've got eight. Saturday, we've got 11. And Sunday, we've got four. So realistically, from a streaming point of view, we're looking at Monday, looking at Wednesday, looking at Thursday, 
Friday and Sunday. So that is five days. Maybe Friday is not going to work, but most likely it will. So you're looking at four or five days when you can stream guys in. So this is a week where you can get fairly aggressive with your streams, open up that streaming spot and get yourself a three, four game advantage perhaps over your opponent. And that could really help you get that extra and go from a 5-4 to a 6-3 or a 5-4 to a 7-2 win in a head-to-head league this week. So that is important. We will come back and revisit um, the 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 players that are well, not the players. We'll look at the um, the way to stream for this week, but we'll talk about weekly leagues uh, first. We'll have a look at how that all pans out. We've only got um, six teams that play four games this week, and that's the Celtics, the Suns, the Pacers, the Thunder, the Nets, and the Heat. The Heat and the Nets both play four games, but all four of those are on the road, so that is something to pay attention to. And both of those teams play the Utah Jazz. On a more positive note, both of those teams play the Phoenix Suns, so there is uh, some value in those guys, but they're the only six teams that play four games. The majority of teams play three games, and then we've got four teams playing two games, and that is the Portland Trailblazers, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Charlotte Hornets. Because there are so many teams playing two games, there are there aren't many of these players from the two-game weeks that you're going to be looking at to lock into weekly lineups. Dame Lillard is is a pretty much guarantee. Mike Conley, the same thing. Carl Anthony Towns, lock him in. Jim Butler, lock him in. Marcus Gasol, fine. Yeah, CJ McCollum is is a borderline guy, and that sounds weird to say, but based on what our weekly projections are for this week, he, he's about the 110th ranked player. And if you're in a 10-team league with 10 starters, that might not be good enough to get into your starting lump. So have a look at him. Kemba Walker comes in ranked 116th, a similar situation there for him. But there is, you can still use those studs, Conley, Gasol, Lillard, uh, Towns, Butler, Walker, well, maybe not even Walker, but all those guys can have a, a level of value this week in weekly changes league. Of course, they're those four game, you might get someone... For example, on, on the Nets, a guy like the blue swimmer, Alan Crabb, like he could be a more valuable player this week than CJ McCollum because he's playing double the amount of games and he's clearly not a more valuable player in real life. But when you're playing two extra games, that could really help out in, in that type of situation. A guy like Boyan Bogdanovich, the same thing. Maybe Corey Joseph could sneak in ahead of a, a CJ McCollum. It, it sounds bananas on the surface, but you're getting four games worth of action. 24 minutes a game from Corey. You're looking at uh, yeah, 100 minutes worth of action and you're not going to get 100 minutes worth of action from CJ McCollum in two games. So that's sort of the way you want to look at it. Have a look. Again, you can check all this out on Basketball Monster, customize to your league how your um, matchup's going to go against your opponent and work out who you put into your lineups that way. With the uh, three-game weeks, we want to look at you know, strengths of schedule to work out and you're comparing players from the two teams, how it works out. The Knicks have got a nice one. The Hornets, the Magic, and the Kings is pretty solid. Denver and Washington also with good schedules along with the Magic, whereas at the bottom end of things, Philadelphia's on the road for all three games and they take on the Warriors and the Jazz as, as part of that three-game stand. stand. Uh, the Bulls have a poor schedule. The Clippers and the Spurs don't have things ideal in terms of the uh, defenses or the teams that they are matching up with. So there, again, you can compare all this on our weekly projections, it takes all of this schedule, opponent, road, rest, all that stuff into consideration when balancing the projections for the week. And it can sort of tell you or give you an idea as to which guys to start and which guys to sit. Of course, that is over on Basketball Monster. When we look at daily leagues, we're looking at um, maximizing your additions. Now, I talked about the days that we can you can look to add players, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. But if you've got minimal acquisitions either for the season or for the week, you want to make the most of those. So you're looking at back-to-backs or pseudo-back-to-backs. And if you are a new listener, a pseudo-back-to-back is when you've got two low-volume games you know, sandwiching a high-volume day. So Monday, you've got three games. 
Tuesday, you've got 10. Wednesday, you've got five. So if you can find someone that plays both Monday and Wednesday, you could add them because on the Tuesday, you have a full roster. And even if you added someone off the wire, you probably wouldn't be able to play them. So you could add someone for Monday, get Monday's game out of them, and get Wednesday's game out of them all for one roster move, which uh, can be quite key when you get towards the end of the week. So there are four teams that play that Monday, Wednesday back-to-back. Fake back-to-back, pseudo back-to-back. It's the Boston Celtics, it's the Phoenix Suns, it's the Miami Heat, it's the Golden State Warriors. So for the Celtics, Marcus Morris, not a big fan, but add him there. It's a good spot for him. We'll talk about a little bit more about the Celtics later on. Um, Aaron Baines, Bainesy, although actually not Morris because he's not going to play on Monday. Sorry, yeah, Bainesy's going to get some extra run on Monday. Maybe da- Daniel Tice gets that run. Shemi Ojale is going to get 16 or 17 minutes. Maybe you can get on that Monday, Wednesday, you know, 34. Two combined minutes out of Ojale, and maybe that's enough to, to make use of that addition. The Suns, Mike James, Tyler Eulis, Tyson Chandler, Alex Lynn, Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris. Some of these guys could be on your wire. Joshy Jackson, TJ Warren. It's a great spot to add them, and some of them, including Warren, um, are guys that you're going to want to hold on to for the rest of the season. The Miami Heat, there are options. The Duke Wayne Ellington, Dion Wade has missed today's game because of the birth of his daughter. He's back in Miami. They're on the West Coast. Does he get back out for this game? The Heat haven't announced that yet. They're on a five-game road trip, I think, and he will be back at some point in this road trip. It doesn't mean he'll be back for Monday, so the Duke could play another 25 minutes, and he could be a worthy add. And the Warriors, yeah, well, there's not a lot there. Maybe Shawnee Livingston, Geordie Bell, uh, Pat McCaw, but not a lot in terms of adding those. Wednesday, Thursday is the next back-to-back we look at, and the only team that's got that is the Lakers. Kuzma and Randall should already be owned. Jordy Clarkson, if he's around, you'd add him for that little stretch. You might look at Joshy Hart. You might look at, um, well, there's not much else really on the Lakers. You'd look at Corey Brewer, perhaps, but that's not really uh, a great a great option there. On Thursday, Friday, you've got the Thunder. The best guy to add there is going to be either uh, Jeremy Grant or Alex Abrines, depending on what kind of numbers you want. You're probably going to look at Grant, who's playing 25-plus minutes a night at the moment. And Friday, Sunday, to end the week on that pseudo back-to-back, you've got four teams, five teams, sorry, that play that pseudo back-to-back. It's Boston and Indiana, OKC, Miami, and Detroit. And you'll see some of those names repeated. OKC has the Thursday, Friday back-to-back, and they also have Friday, Sunday. So one out of Jeremy Grant on Thursday can get you three games. That is a great, great move. So Grant, Patterson, Abrines, Fatface, Ray Felton, any of those guys, three games for the value of one. Boston, as I said at the start of the week, they've got the Monday, Wednesday, and they've got the Friday, Sunday. So that's four games for Boston, all on low-volume days. That can be really valuable, and the same goes for Miami. And then you've got the Pistons and the Pacers who jump in there at the end of the week where you can look at guys like Ish Smith, Stan Johnson for Detroit, uh, maybe Tony Tolliver, maybe Eric Borland in a deeper league. And for the Pacers, you're looking at Boyan Bogdanovich, who was terrible today, Corey Joseph uh, as another option, Demontis Sabonis. If someone dropped him, you'd go and add him and, uh, and see how that works out for you. There maybe even Lance Stevenson if you're really, really pushing it. Some other schedule notes to pay attention to. As I said, the Thunder have three games in four nights between Thursday and Sunday. That can have value. The Pacers have uh, have four games from Tuesday onwards as well. So after Monday's games, the, the Pacers do play all their four games there, although some of those are on the, the high schedule nights. The Lakers play a three and four Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three games in that stretch, and the Houston Rockets play three games in four nights on Thursday to Sunday. The Hawks play on Monday, which is great on that three-game uh, day, but then they don't play again until Friday. So any of these guys that you might stream in, uh, The Undertaker, if he was on your wire, Lukey Babbitt, you might look to add uh, an Isaiah Taylor in a deeper league, Marco Bellinelli. You could add them for Monday, sure, but then you're probably not going to be worth holding them for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as you wait three days for the Hawks to play until they play that Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. And even then, you possibly only get one game of value out of them. So that is something to pay attention to. Matt Smith goes through all of this stuff in his weekly schedule analysis article over on Basketball Monster. 
So I do encourage you to go and uh, and check that out over on uh, over on the site. Let's um let's talk about some of the teams that played on the weekend, and played on Friday or Saturday that it didn't either didn't play Sunday or won't play Monday, so won't really have a chance in the normal flow of the show to discuss them. And we'll start off, of course, with my my former Chicago Bulls. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Just when I thought I was figuring it out with the Bulls and their uh, point guard position, Jaron Grant played more minutes than Chris Dunn in the last game. He put up a decent line. You get the feeling, and this was always the risk in the preseason we're talking about it, that it's going to be a timeshare. We know that Fred Hoiberg did that all of last season. Maddeningly inconsistent point guard rotations with seemingly no common sense behind them was the uh, name of the game for Hoiberg, and that could continue. Dunn's going to get you more steals, probably more assists, probably more blocks. Grant's going to be a little bit more efficient, turn the ball over less, and I feel like it's going to be a game-to-game basis. If I'm owning anyone, it's probably done if I can deal with the percentages, but neither of them are going to be a top 80, top 90 type of guys, and that doesn't make them absolute must-own territory. Denzel Valentine looked really good in the last game. I, I cannot for the life of me. You know, David Noir has been fine. Justin Holiday. the fact that you're giving him a green light to shoot, is it, it's either the greatest tank strategy of all time, or it's the most brain-dead coaching decision that's ever existed. Maybe it lies somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's a combination of the two, but there's no way he should be given the green light to shoot whenever he wants. You've got a lottery pick who was not given a fair shake last season, had ankle problems, and has looked pretty good, I thought, this season when he's been given that chance. He just hasn't been given the chance enough. Now, we've seen Powell Zipser move back to a sub-20-minute role, and Valentine stepped up in the last one with Nwaba injured. He can get assists, he can rebound the ball, he can get steals, he can hit threes. So he isn't a guy to watch. He's not really a must-add 12-team league guy, but he's a guy I'd be looking at in, in um, 14-team leagues and just considering and just watching what happens at that in that wing position. But of course, when Zachy Levine returns, then uh, some of those minutes are going to evaporate over there for Chicago as well. Also, Bob Portis' suspension is finished, so of course the Bulls are going to probably put him back into the rotation because they are absolute numbnuts, while Nikola Miritich continues to sit out with his broken face. Portis is not going to cut into Larry Markinen's minutes. He is not going to do that. He is not going to be a 12-team league guy. He is a bad basketball player and evidently not a great bloke either. Um, in a 14-team league, I'm not even sure I'd go there with Bob. For Dallas, Dennis Smith Jr., so many people, man, do I drop Dennis Smith? Like, no, 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 you don't drop Dennis Smith. Yes, the percentages have been bad, but when you're getting a rookie point guard, this is just what you should expect. He's looked much better the last couple of games. You hold tight. We're literally three weeks into the season. You just hold tight on a guy like Dennis. His minutes aren't going anywhere. On the other hand, Nerlens Noel, his minutes, they're going somewhere. They're going downwards. They made a starting lineup change, and they put Salah Mejri in to start. Noel is just not going to get big minutes. It's just not going to happen this season. I am 98% confident that it will not happen for him. So... In 18 minutes a night where he's clearly disillusioned and he's not going to be trying, he's just not going to be worth it. And it's it shit. We know that if you've got 25 and on, he could be valuable. And 28, he could be a top 30 player. And they're just not happening. Those things are not happening. It's going to require two injuries, Nowitzki and Mejri or Nowitzki and Powell, for him to really have a crack. But even then, they might put Maxi Kleber in. They might put uh, Jeff Withy in. They might put John Motley in. I have no confidence in Noel getting these minutes. In Denver... Um, Manny Moutier looking really, really strong. I'd add him in all 14-team leagues, and I think he's a decent 12-team league guy as well, whereas the Blue Arrow, you have to hold. Yeah, he's had a couple of struggles there, but Malone is pretty steadfast. We want him to be our starter, and we want him to be our closer. He's going to have some issues. Um, you can almost treat him like a rookie in terms of inconsistency, which you probably shouldn't because he's a second-year guy, but that's sort of the way it's going with the Blue Arrow at the moment. Jamal Murray, if you don't know who the Blue Arrow is... 
I'll tweet this out, you know, often. I'll tweet out nicknames. Oh, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? I feel like I've explained them all a million times, but clearly not all Twitter followers listen to the podcast. Um, and the Blue Arrow is not even a nickname I made up. Um, but yeah, hold it tight on him. Paulie Millsap, the 105th ranked player this season, had a good game the other day and then a stinker against the Warriors. You can sort of forgive the Warriors one, but don't look at him as a real buy low. There's a massive, massive chance he finishes outside the top 60 this season. Massive chance. And I don't think he's ever going to recover and get back to being a top 30 player. I, I just, I don't see it for him. I've said that millions of times. Probably not millions, but yeah, enough. The Detroit Pistons. I just realized I should have been clicking these little graphics on the video. Let's go back to that now. Yeah, Detroit Pistons. Uh, Andre Drummond is shooting 75% from the free throw line this season. He is the 14th ranked player overall this year. It's real. I don't know to what level it's real, but I feel pretty good about saying he will shoot over 50% from the line this season, and I feel pretty good about saying he's going to shoot over 60% from the line. If you drafted him, it's just a bonus. It doesn't ruin your punt free throw team. It doesn't ruin that at all. It may Maybe it increases his trade value, but it doesn't ruin that. Um, that, that's a great part of what Drummond's been able to do, but I'm more impressed with his extra efforts defensively. Offensively, he looks more involved, and it turns out you know, being able to breathe is a pretty vital part of being a professional athlete, and Drummond was having breathing difficulties. He looked completely different this season. I was pretty big on him heading into this year, drafted him in a few spots, didn't expect this sort of free throw turnaround because literally nobody could have expected this before the preseason, but it's um he's been impressive, and I, I imagine it continues. Milwaukee Bucks, um, the Muppet John Henson, he's getting those minutes. He's going to be a real nice block ad. He's got some short-term value. I would add Henson for Noel, get it in for two two weeks or so where while Greggy Munro is out, move on from someone else. I don't imagine Henson's going to have massive long-term value. The New Orleans Pelicans, um, we have got Jameer Nelson, who seemingly was seeing his minutes disappear. Well, not seemingly. They were disappearing, but then they came back up with a decent game in the last one, put up some okay numbers. He's more of a oh shit, let's just take a flyer on someone and stream it and hope it works out rather than being someone that I'd be advocating to add everywhere. Ian Clark is losing a ton of minutes in, in New Orleans by 12 minutes a game. His value is really, really dropping even in like very, very deep leagues. The Philadelphia 76ers, TJ McConnell, until Markel Fultz comes back at least, he is going to be worth owning, so make sure he is owning. Benny Simmons is legit. He's putting up crazy numbers. When you're talking about trading him, the free throws are a problem, but Look to get a top 20 guy. He is, I don't really see it slowing down for Simmons. He's just crushing it at the moment. And the other big news, of course, was the return of Rashawn Holmes over the weekend. He played 10 minutes as the backup center. Amir Johnson played 10 minutes as the backup center behind Joel Embiid. He looked like he was being preferred to Amir down the stretch, but I don't think that automatically means that Amir is going to be 100% out of the rotation. And once again, he didn't play any power forward. So his minutes are going to be quite limited. I just, I just, the upside's there if Embiid gets hurt. But are we going and adding Eric Morland in case Andre Drummond gets hurt? I know they don't have the same injury history. I'm aware of that. But uh, yeah, are you adding, I don't even know who else, someone else, Chris Felicio in case Robin Lopez goes down? I just feel like it could be a waste and it could be detrimental. It could pan out. But I think at this point, we're looking at a sub 50% chance of it actually happening. And it could actually end up costing you victories as you're holding a guy that gets 12 minutes a night or 15 minutes a night for two months. That I just It just doesn't. It just doesn't work for me. That's not, if you want to do it and you want to handcuff, that's fine. It's just, it's not a strategy that really works all that well for me. The Sacramento Kings. I have assigned the Hello Darkness, my old friend, song to the Chicago Bulls, but this organization, there is a lot going wrong. Now, often when I criticize the Kings, I get some Kings fans jumping on, oh man, no man, no, we, we, everything we're doing is right. Our free agent moves are good. Our front office has been, been putting up, uh, been putting up good, good, uh, good numbers. 
No. No, the front office has been doing bad moves. Your coaching is bad. Dave Yeager is a horrendous coach. I'm, I feel like I feel like he is dishonest. I feel like he's he's. I don't want to use snake, but he's. I feel like he's just not a good bloke. The and, and there's a lot of people who have got to be held accountable. I know the people in Memphis really dislike him. Um, his maneuvers to try and get out of his contract every season there were not ideal. Now he's landed in Sacramento. Now this is a team that has its draft pick this season. They don't have their draft pick next year, so. Surely, you want to develop the, the youth of the franchise. What is the point of trying to scrounge for an extra three or four wins by playing Zach Randolph 30 minutes by, oh, we've got to get Vince Carter some minutes? No, you don't, Dave. You do not. Vince Carter's played plenty of minutes throughout his career. Sign to the contract, give him his money, you loved him in Memphis, all good, whatever. What is the point of playing Vince Carter? What is the point of limiting one of your future potential starters? I'm not saying he's going to be a star or even good, but Scalabissier. Why limit him so much so you can get Randolph minutes, so you can get Carter minutes? And then when you're questioned about it, just offer a bald-faced lie. Uh, I don't have the quote in front of me. I wish I had it, but let's let's uh, let's paraphrase. Uh, the league's playing a lot of threes at the four these days, and it's really uh, it's really a, it's really a struggle for for Scal to you know, get out there and, and cover those smaller, faster guys. So that's why we can't play him, Dave. You're playing Zach Randolph at the four. How's Randolph's athleticism to get out there and cover those threes playing at the four? That is as bullshit of an excuse as I could ever hear. Now, as soon as I saw that quote, which uh, was brought to you by the wonderful Aaron Bruski, my initial response is, Randolph's playing the four. The guys in that press conference, why isn't your comeback... Why have you got Zach playing there? How is he able to cover the threes playing as four with his elite foot speed? Probably wouldn't use that sort of sarcastic tone. Probably wouldn't go down too well. But that's the question that surely has to be asked. How is Zach able to handle the faster, smaller guys if Scal can't? Where's the accountability? Why aren't you trying to develop these players? George Hill's already rested games, and he was out for personal reasons over the weekend. Randolph is resting games. Garrett Temple is resting games. His whole organization is a massive shit show. Okay, maybe you are tanking to get that pick, but develop your young players in the meantime. Bogdan Bogdanovich has, goes off in the first quarter, doesn't see the court at all in the second quarter. It's disgraceful, the, the stuff that goes on with the coaching here and the front office, and you can talk about culture all you want. It doesn't matter if you're just pulling dick moves like this, and you know, Phoenix is going to find that out with Eric Bledsoe after they dicked him around last year, and you know, he's not happy about it, and they're not going to get a very good return from, for him. It's just really, really poor. Now, I apologize if you're a Kings fan because I know you're really passionate about your team, but these are really, really bad moves that they are making. Front office moves, coaching moves, it is not a positive at all. And then to come out and bald-faced lie like that and then don't even get challenged about it, it's uh, it's really disappointing to me to see that sort of stuff. Now, I've ranted on for way too long. It's time now for us to uh, to, to move forward in this in this show and talk about what actually went down on Sunday. And we'll do that by talking about the monstrous line of the night. And I don't really think that you have would have any arguments with who the monstrous line of the night is. Because, of course, it is the one and only Jim Harden of the Houston Rockets. Jim had 56 points. He took 25 shots. Yep. He had a true shooting percentage of over 100. He hit seven triples. He had two rebounds, seven, no, 13 assists, two steals, went 19 of 25 from the field and 11 of 12 from the free throw line. He is the seventh ranked player currently in the NBA at the moment. He's the second ranked player over the last week, averaging 36 points per game in those four games, 36, three and a half, and 10 with five and a half triples a game. 
what? Um, two steals, 52, 81, and 51 as his percentages for a true shooting of 70 over that time. He is really, really good. Now, maybe Chris Paul comes back and does limit him somewhat. I wasn't really bothered by that in the uh, preseason or in draft season. I'm not overly bothered by it now. He's putting up big numbers, and he's looking... Uh, He's looking pretty much just like the Jim Harden of all, uh, not of all, of old. The waiver wire line of the night goes to Norm Powell. These are the sort of numbers I was hoping that Norm could put up when he was inserted as the starter at the beginning of the year. 19, 1 and 2, 2 steals, 2 blocks, a 3, 7 of 13 from the field and 4 of 4 from the line. But early in this season, he was limited. They were playing OG Ananobi, they were playing CJ Miles, they were playing DeLon Wright, and that was limiting Powell's minutes. Now, in this one, we do have to look at it and or through the lens of the fact that Kyle Lowry got ejected. So that meant that DeLon had to shift over and play pretty much all his minutes at the 1. CJ Miles also was pushed back to playing 13 minutes, and that enabled Powell power to get that extra playing time. We've seen his minutes go up in the last couple of games, but there's always this nagging reason, oh, Lowry was ejected the game before CJ Miles was out. So which one's real? So when everyone's healthy, is Powell going to play 29 minutes and put up these numbers, or is he going to go back to this 23-minute timeshare with Miles and Ananobi and Dillon Wright at the three? I lean a little bit more towards that in terms of him um, sharing those minutes and not being able to get 29 a night. But we've seen him work with these starters before and put up decent minutes. Now, the starting group as a whole was pretty putrid in this game for the Raptors, so that might limit his minutes moving forward. I don't think he's a high-priority must-own guy in 12-team leagues. I'd be okay with having a flyer and just and just seeing, but I think he's more of a 14-team league guy. The young gun of the night goes to Don Mitchell of the Utah Jazz Donovan had 17 points with four rebounds, four assists, and hit three triples with a steal, and did it efficiently, 46% from the field, and that's three consecutive games where he shot over 42% from the field. Now, early in the season, he was killing you. If you look at his field goal percentage log for the year, 27, 14, 14, 35, 14. That's horrendous. But then it went to 56, 38, and then 43, 50. Uh, so 43, 45, and 46 in the last three games on a big volume of shots, 21, 20, and 13 across those last three games. He's getting to the line an okay amount. He's hitting those shots. He's scoring. But more importantly, he's getting minutes, 35, 32, and 25. And this game was a blowout in terms of those minutes. So he might have pushed to 30. I think he's a guy to own in 12-team leagues. I think that Rocket Rodney Hood's starting job is definitely in jeopardy. I know the Jazz are massively, massively high on him internally. You would have heard David Locke talk about him on the Utah Jazz season preview earlier on this year and talking about how much that he loved Mitchell and said he's going to force his way into minutes. He's going to be on the court in closing time. And and Locke said at the time, he goes, I think he's going to average 15 a game. And I was like, maybe a bit high. He's averaging 13 and a half already. So maybe that's not crazy. He is going to put up numbers. He's going to get some threes. Um, he's getting some steals, and the percentage is going to be a problem, but 44% over the last four games is totally fine, and that's easily workable. So I think that Don needs to be owned. Over the last week, he's the 37th-ranked player. Must-own guy. Um, simple as that. Not sure that it's going to last, but you have to own him at this point. The dart of the night goes to the player that uh, that Derek Rose, I was going to say Rajan Rondo, the player that Derek Rose is currently a better starting point guard than, and that is Kyle Lowry. He had two points, one rebound, and one assist, missed all four of his shots. But of course, that was due to the fact that he got ejected after receiving two technical fouls. He was ejected uh, after only playing 12 minutes. I don't think we need to worry too much about this. His previous four games, 11, 10, and 12, 19, 10, and 6, 9, 5, and 4, and 15, 4, and 10. Now, he hasn't been fantastic this season. That's That's... Not debatable. He's outside the top 50. 
But I think it's a great, great buy low opportunity. I was pretty much out on Lowry this season for where he was getting drafted. I didn't look to draft him in the second round. He was going before I'd be happy drafting him, which would have been end of the third round. So I ended up not getting any part of him. I don't think I'm just having a look now just to make sure I'm not talking shit. No, I don't own him in any league. And because I was, yeah, the age, age related decline is a problem. The injury drop off last season, the, um, I, I just, I just had that feeling that things were going to be a little bit down for him, but not this down. So I'd still be looking at him and trying to go with a, with a, with a low offer and seeing if you can get him back. And he should be able to sneak his way back into the top 50 this season. But don't be, um, don't be expecting, you know, top 12, top 15, top 20 numbers from Lowry as we, as we move forward. I'm just not sure that he gets, uh, gets back to that level. He is, he is struggling, but, Recently, those numbers have started to come up, so that's always a um, that's always a good sign when things start to uh, start to come back to where they were before. Let's look at these ten games from Sunday now and get into them in a bit more extra uh, extra detail, which is uh, the way we do things on the podcast here. The first game, the Atlanta Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Hawks had a big lead in this one, almost choked it away at the end, but get the victory over the Cavs on the road, who are massively struggling. Dennis Schroeder just gets to the rim whenever he wants. 28-3-9, shot 69% from the field, which is clearly high. Giggity! But who knows if that's going to be able to... Uh, who knows if that's going to be able to stick it? Probably won't be able to stick at that high, but his field goal percentage is definitely up this season, as is his three-point shooting, and he he feels like an absolute lock to be a top 50 guy and probably a top 40 guy. Torian Prince, weirdly owned in 27% of ESPN leagues. If you're playing on ESPN, what on earth is going on? Please go and add him. 17-5 and with three triples. He is a top 80 player so far this season. Um, he is shooting quite well from three. I think 46% from three. That will come down, but his minutes aren't going anywhere. Lukey Babbitt played a career-high 42 minutes, 17-3-2 with a steal, with a block, with four triples. And we've seen that Mike Budenholzer, he's gained the trust of Budenholzer. But we have to remember in this game and in the last game, we had no Mike Muscala and we had no Ersan Ilyasova. So we're getting lots of Luke Babbitt. Now, he can have some value, but once those two guys return, he's not going to get the same level of playing time. So he's more of a, a deeper league rest of season player and a really short-term standard league guy. But especially for Monday when the Hawks play and only five other teams do, yeah, Babbitt's going to have that opportunity once more. This is the sort of Undertaker performance that you would have been hoping for. 15 and 7. Now, you would have hoped for a couple of blocks, but 15 and 7 with 70% from the field, hit his only free throw. That's why he was a solid last pick, because you hope for that. But the Baptist, John Collins, continues to play well and take those minutes away from uh, Dedman. Now, they did play together for two minutes in this one, and that's, again, it's a marginally positive sign, but it, it appears that the Hawks are favoring the Baptist as strictly as center, and that does limit both Deadman and Collins' upside, I think. But as for Collins, I think he should be owned in most places. Didn't shoot that well, 3 of 10, but had 12 and 13 in 24 minutes with two blocks. He was just, a, he was a beast. He was aggressive in getting the ball on rebounds. He's just so hard to keep off the glass. You know I like him. Deeper leagues, you want to pay attention to Isaiah Taylor, who had 14, 2, and 3. And we've seen Marco Bellinelli really drop off. Taylor's getting some of those minutes. We're seeing Kent Bazemore play a little bit more. I think Bellinelli, who was a 12-team league guy for a bit, he can be dropped now in those formats. I'm not saying to add Taylor, but deeper leagues will want to pay some attention. Well, I also have to give a shout-out to Kent Bazemore. don't like Kent Bazemore as a player, but 14, 9, and 7, he got the shit smashed out of him which seems to always happen with him, but got back up, played through, and grabbed a real key rebound late. Really massive part of, of this victory for the uh, for the Hawks. As for the Cavs, LeBron was good. 26-5 and 13 with a steal and two blocks. I don't think you need me to tell you what I think about Derek Rose's performance. He had uh, 10 points in 20 minutes, four fouls, one assist, useless as usual. Dwayne Wade, big minutes for Wadey, 25-11 and 6. Probably his, or definitely his best performance as a member of the Cavs, but, Cavs, but the 
previous to this, the two games prior, he played under 20 minutes a game. So I think it's quite, um, I don't think it's, um, reasonable to, um, to expect him to play these minutes on a nightly basis. So in saying that, like, leave him for the deeper leagues. Kyle Korver got hot late. He had a lot of threes in the final quarter, 23 and five with five triples. That's what he is, though. While uh, Jeff Green had a decent night. My name is Jeff. Um, nine and four with a triple one in 26 minutes. He's getting these minutes that Jake Crowder was supposed to get. Crowder was poor once more, five and three in 23 minutes. You can add Crowder while Thompson is out. It's not high priority to me because I just don't think he's very good anymore. Um, never was his biggest fan, clearly. But just when in a game where Tristan Thompson's out and Kevin Love is struggling and he can't get those minutes and doesn't look good, it's, it's a real worrying sign. Now, as for Love, he left the game with an illness, went to hospitals back home now. We'll have to find out his status tomorrow. It's pretty disturbing how low Kevin Love's usage is on this team. It just, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense the way that Tyler is running things. Lose, lose a candidate to get fired, I reckon. He, he's, it's poor management of this team, poor management of shot distribution of the offense. It just, it just feels like that he's just letting the players do whatever they want. You know, Derek Rose shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Dwayne Wade shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Give the ball to Kevin Love and let him get some stuff happening. It's a, it's, it's a failure on the coaching staff, in my opinion. The Miami Heat. And the LA Clippers, the Heat had a big lead. The Clippers whittled it down, got the lead back, but then uh, the Heat get the victory in the end. Dion Waiters, as I mentioned earlier, was out due to the birth of his daughter. So we had uh, Justice Winslow. He started in his place, but once again, did nothing. Oh, well, that's not true. He accumulated five fouls in 17 minutes, two points and two rebounds. I wouldn't want him sniffing my 12-team league or even uh, 14-team at this point. Hassan Whiteside bouncing back after a couple of slower games, returning from that knee bone bruise. 21-17 and 17 with three steals and two blocks for Hassan. Good stuff there. While with Waiters out, Tyler Johnson got some extra burn. 19-2-3, three steals and three triples. And for as long as Waiters is out, Johnson's worth an add. Joshy Richardson also looked good. 35 minutes for Josh, 14-2-4, three steals and three triples. Now, his usage hasn't been that high this season, and it wasn't really all that changed with Waiters out, only a 17% usage, but what we saw is his shots went down at a slightly better rate, he hit the threes, and he got the steals, and he got the assists, and that's what brought his value back up. The Duke Wayne Allenton, he hit his five triples for 17 points, he's always a good option for that sort of a scenario. The Heat do play again on Monday against the Warriors, if no D on there, you might want to stream the Duke in and see what he can give you, while the iron shoulder, Goran Dragic had 12, 4, and 6, and Jimmy Johnson had 14, 2, and 5. Okaro White is Luke Babbitt, basically now, he's that starter who plays under 20 minutes, 3, and 3, and 18 for him. Well, Kelly Olenek, I think, might struggle to crack 20 minutes now. Not a 12-team league guy, in my opinion. Two and four in 16 minutes for Kelly. While Bam Adebayo, basically out of the rotation now. The Wizards and the Raptors, no Johnny Walter. Timmy Frazier started, played 31 minutes, but battled some early foul trouble, and that enabled Thomas Sataransky to get some extra playing time. Four, two, and eight for Frazier, while Sataransky had zero, four, and three. Wasn't a great game from Thomas. I still think that he can be a much better player than this, but he's currently letting me down. While Jody Meeks only was uh, on the court for eight minutes uh, after a nice start to the season, he has dropped off. Markeith Morris, 18 minutes as a starter, 10 and four. He's still going to be on a minutes restriction for a little bit of time. But um, yeah, he can be owned. He's not a must-own. And that, the reason I say that is I think his upside is pretty limited. But in a lot of cases, I would add him, say, over an Alex Len. If you've, if you've grabbed someone like that, I'd be happy owning him over like a Mike James or a Tyler Eulis. But his upside is not through the roof. It's probably top 90 best-case scenario for Morris, which is fine. But it's not something you need to absolutely fall over yourself for. Kelly Oubre had some foul trouble as well. 
10 and 5 in 24 minutes, but he is going to lose some minutes with Morris back, and that's going to cut into his production. Brattles Beal was fantastic too, 38, 5 and 4 on, uh, on just the lazy 62% shooting. For the Raptors, talked about Norm Powell already, talked about Kyle Lowry already. Serge Ibaka, he just looked terrible in this game. He still played 29 minutes and had 7 points with 10 boards. Two triples, two steals, and a block. But on the court, he just looks out of it. His shot selection is horrendous most of the time. His defense and his blocks are just way down from where they used to be. He's definitely not someone to drop, but his play has uh, it has regressed quite a bit. Jonas Valanciunas, 19 minutes for JV, 6-3. and three. Terrible at the end of the game as well. Um, you know, I avoided Valanciunas in pretty much every league that I was in. At the start of the season, they played him big minutes, and it looked really good, but... Now that he's back from his ankle, it just really doesn't feel like he's going to get back to over 25 a night. Bebe Nogueira's playing well. Jakob Pertl's doing stuff. Pascal Siakam is doing some things at power forward, which is pushing Abaka to the five a little bit more. And that's going to limit Valanciunas. In a 10-team league, I reckon he's almost droppable. In a 12-er, I'd probably hold, but it's not looking good for Valanciunas. DeRozan was fine in this one. I talked about Bebe. He puts up numbers. Six points, two boards, one steal, two blocks, 14 minutes. He'd probably need... 18 minutes or so for me to really consider him a 12-team league guy, but that might not be far away. Siakam had 7-5 and five in 16 minutes, and I imagine he keeps that sort of a role as we move forward. While Pirtle, 6 minutes, the fewest minutes out of that uh, Noguera, um, Valanchunas, Siakam, Ibaka, Quartet, or you know, Quintet, I guess, if you include him in there. So he could be looking at losing some minutes to Bebe, who has really looked good in this stretch of uh, stretch of games. Boston and Orlando, the next one here. Marcus Smart. This is exactly why I'm big on Marcus Smart for drafting him. Yeah, the field goal percentage is horrific. We know that. Four of 12. But everything else is really good. 11 points, two triples, eight rebounds, eight assists, three steals, one block. Filling it up in multiple categories. If you can afford the field goal percentage hit, either by the by way of you being a strong field goal, very strong field goal percentage team, or just being a, a team that loses that category anyway, and he's on your wire, add him. He shouldn't be around. Al Horford, another good rebounding night from Al, while Jalen Brown had 18-7 and seven with a pair of steals and was shit from the line once again. Marcus Morris back into the starting lineup. 23 minutes for Morris, 12-7 and seven with two steals. Looks good. Good line from Morris. I don't believe he's a must-own 12-team league guy. He struggled to be that guy in Detroit in 35 minutes last season or 32 minutes last season. I don't think he gets that amount of playing time, especially with the way that Baines and Ojale have been playing this season and Tatum, of course, as well. Those guys would have to lose a significant chunk of minutes for Morris to come in and play 30-plus. I think he's more suited as a 27-minute guy, and that's okay, but it's more for deeper leagues. As for Tatum, he played 27 in this one. All starters were under 30 minutes, though, because it was a pretty comfortable victory, 13-4-3 for Tatum. I had someone ask me what's wrong with Kyrie Irving today. Yeah, he had 11 points on 13 shots. That's not good. He's still the 15th-ranked player this season, averaging 20 points a game. I don't think we need to be too worried about Kyrie having a, a, a marginal stinker in this one. The Orlando Magic, no Lord Alfred Payton, no DJ Augustine. So the Magic went with a different route here. They started John Simmons at point guard, and it didn't work out all that well. 21 minutes for Simo, 14 and 3. So he got the scoring done. Not much else for him. I think he can be owned, but I'm definitely not as sold on John Simmons as what other people are. Big as Gordon, 18 and 12 with a triple one. Big night from him, while Vooch had 13, 10 and 7. A big night there. But Evan Fournier, the man who apparently couldn't miss, well, he missed every shot pretty much in this one. He finished with just 6 points on 2 of 14 shooting. He went 22% from 3 with 4 rebounds and 2 assists. He will bounce back, but we knew that this sort of aggression game was coming at some point. 
John Isaac did nothing to dissuade me from thinking he is going to be a fantasy start at some point. Nine and six in 29 minutes for Isaac. Had two blocks. If you are looking at, if you're like sitting sixth, even in a 12-team dynasty, if you're sitting sixth and you're probably not going to make the playoffs, I'd add him and just go, well, cool, I'll add him. And we'll see what happens with him in March or we'll see what happens with him next season. I'd add him. I think that he is going to be an impactful player sooner rather than later. The Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets, not often you see a Jazz team get lit up to the tune of 137 points, but that's exactly what the Rockets did here. Talked about Don Mitchell already. It was, it's just a hard game to really grasp too much. The minutes were spread all over the place. Royce O'Neal played 12, so that's that should be all you need to know about. We're really examining too much about the minutes distribution for players like Ravishing Rick Rubio, Rude Gobert, uh, Rocket Rodney, um, Jingle and Joe, all those sort of players. They did okay, but their minutes were muted, so there's not much to really look at there. But I think we've seen over the last two that Tabo Cephalosius, that one big game he had when Joe Johnson was first out, that Don Mitchell is starting to get more of those minutes than what uh, Tabo is. Onto the Rockets, Clint Capella. The minutes continue to be frustrating, but 8-8 eight and eight with a steal and four blocks. He's been a monster this year, and the sky is really the limit here. But D'Antoni just continues to put the brakes on. Eric Gordon hit six triples, while Trevor Reza was, was solid with 14 points on 50% shooting. Ryan Anderson had one of his uh, customary turds, 6-5 and five in 32 minutes for Rhino. He is a guy that you can stream in but leave on the waiver wire in most cases. While Luke Marmute, he suffered a, um, a knee bone bruise in this one, only played 14 minutes. The Rockets don't play again till Thursday, though, so uh, if you did add him, you probably can drop him, even though he'll be back ready for Thursday. But that's you know, three days with no games, with the potential of him missing Thursday as well. Not really a high-priority guy to hold on to. Phoenix and San Antonio, um, decent win for the Spurs here. Troy Daniels got really hot in this one, had 14 points with four triples, and that limited Devin Booker to only 26 minutes. Not sure why you'd ever limit Devin Booker just for Troy Daniels, but hey, Jay Triano, you just do what you need to do. Yeah, Daniels is a, a Duke Allington type of guy, a streamer for threes, that's about it. Alex Len, 12 points with two steals in 18 minutes, while Tyson Chandler thieved 29 minutes, 7 and 14 for Chandler. Dragon Bender once more looked better than Marquise Chris. 20 minutes for Bender, 3 and 4. Chris played 19 and had 3 and 3. My thoughts on this are very, very clear. Chris is not a good basketball player. Bender is a better basketball player, but Chris is by far the fan, more superior fantasy asset. But you need him to play those 29 minutes, 28 minutes to be useful. At this point, we're three weeks in, so I guess if you've been holding him, you can start to go, well, how long do I keep going? I'd probably do it another week, but... Given my take on his talent, I just don't think he's good enough to demand those minutes. And with Earl Watson gone, who seemingly loved him and played him in every situation, that's um, that's somewhat of a concern to me in terms of his overall value moving forward. The point guard bullshit happened again. 20 minutes for Mike James. He had 10 and 4, while Tyler Eulis played 28 minutes and had 3 points and 7 assists. There's going to be no consistency for either of these guys. They're going to be inefficient, and neither of them are really must-own players, in my opinion. TJ Warren played through his headache. He had 17 and 5 in 29 minutes. For the Spurs, Manu was out resting along with uh, Kawhi, Joffrey Laverne, and Tone Parker. So Brandon Paul got extra playing time. 27 minutes for Paulie. 11, 2, and 3 with 3 steals. They really love his defense. He's hitting his threes at a high rate, but he's not going to be a consistent contributor. While Bryn Forbes got some of Manu's minutes too and had 12 points, he's definitely not going to be shy to shoot. We know that about Bryn. But 12 points for him in those 27 minutes. Again, when these players come back, they're just not going to have a regular role. Pat Mills started 17, 4, and 4. He's hitting his stride a little bit more now, while DeJounte Murray had 13 and 6 off the bench. Mills is a fine streamer, Murray's a fine streamer, but neither of them are must-own 12-team league guys, in my opinion. 
the Indiana Pacers and the New York Knicks. Miles Turner was back and he was starting, but he played just 24 minutes, 15 and four with a block. And Miles Turner owners, I, I, and I say this and, and I tweet it out and people go, man, why would anyone trade Miles Turner? Why would they trade Miles Turner? The reason I say these things is because people ask me. People send me messages. People send me emails, Facebook messages, whatever they do. And I had multiple people saying, Josh, I'm worried about Miles Turner. What should I do with Turner? Is he going to get his minutes back? Yes. He played 24 minutes here in his second game back, his first start, and he had four fouls in that time. He's not going to play 24 a night. He's fine. But I highlight this so that you can go after the Miles Turner owner in your league. Hey, Sammy Turner. Sammy Turner. Eh, Sabonis, man. They were they were flying with Sabonis. The two games that Turner's been back, 0-2, man. They're not going to go back to him. They're going to run with Sabonis. Get, go, go, get, go get your Miles Turner for Kevin Love. Go get him for... Um, uh, Nick Vucevic, perhaps. Go get him for... Who else can you throw in there? Yusuf Nurkic. Go and get him. This is the best time to do it. Daz Collison, 15-5-10. and 10. Thad Young, 15-5-3 and 3 with four triples. I don't think his minutes are going anywhere, to be honest. Well, DeMontis Sabonis, he played alongside Miles for five minutes, had another strong performance, 16-8-3, and 3, and he is someone to hold. And I think we'll see Young, Sabonis, and Turner playing the majority of those 96 minutes at the four and the five. Now, in this one, Alex Poitras came in and played seven minutes, replacing TJ Leaf. Al Jefferson's out of the rotation. Leaf was out with an ankle in this one. But it's going to be Sabonis. It's going to be Turner. It's going to be Young. Boyan Bogdanovich had been really good. I told you he's streaky. Eight and two. This is why he's not worthy of a must-own status in 12-team leagues. He's fine to just stream in, but this shit's going to go down all the time. For the New York Knicks. Percentages. 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 Yeah, yeah, no, he, he's all right. He's pretty good, Chris Stapps. On any normal night, this would clearly have been the monstrous line of the night. 40 points, 38 minutes, 8 rebounds, 6 blocks, 2 triples, 63% from the field on 24 attempts, 89% from the line on 9 attempts. It is just a monster performance from Chris Dabbs. He's a top 20 player this year. He should have been drafted like a top 20 player. He's shooting at an extraordinarily high rate. I think 52% from the field he is at this year. Just absolutely crushing it. And the best thing for Knicks fans, not only is Puzingas looking like almost unstoppable, is that Frank Nilakina looked good. And I said this for almost the first time we saw him in the preseason. Went, he looks calm. He's going to have this starting job by December, and I'm pretty confident that's the case. 10-2-7 for Frank, three steals, two triples. I feel pretty good in his steal ability. I feel pretty good in his ability to get some assists, and I think he's worth looking at in 12-team leagues. Now, I'd rather have him than Mike James or Tyler Eulis. I'd rather have him than Chris Dunn and Jaron Grant in Chicago, to be honest, because I think that yeah, everything going well, and it is going well. He's going to be pushing for 30 minutes a night pretty soon. He's looking strong. He's looking like he can hang defensively, and that's something that really does bother rookie point guards. And if he starts to shoot okay, which he did in this one, then it's fine. So I do like Frank. I'm not sure how high his upside is. I think he might run into some scoring difficulties. There'll be some ups and downs with his field goal percentage, but I think his assists and steals should be okay. Ennis Cantor, 30 minutes for the second straight night, 9 and 18 for Ennis. They're going to be nights where he does struggle, but if you're owning Willie Hearn and Gomez, mate, that dream's over. Forget that. That's, uh, that's done. Cantor should be owned everywhere. Timmy Hardaway had 16, 2 and 4 with two steals. The, uh, Tim Hardaway complaints, then they've died down a little bit. He seems to have settled into where he needs to be. Jared Jack, he started at point guard, didn't finish obviously with Frank there. 24 minutes, he's not really a 12 team league sort of guy, while Kyler Quinn, 8 and 7 in his 17 minutes. The Charlotte Hornets and Minnesota Timberwolves, Dwighty Howard, 13-9, and nine, a steal and a block. Didn't destroy your free throw percentage, amazingly. He went one of two, which is awesome for him. 
Um, there was no Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, so we started with Jeremy Lamb on the wing alongside the Baconator, Dwayne Bacon. Bacon had 7-3 and three with two steals, while Trevion Graham played 24 minutes and had 9-1 and one with two steals as well. Steve Clifford really likes those guys on the wing, and I think what we're going to see is it's going to limit Michael Carter-Williams this season because Malik Monk is playing over 50% of his minutes as a point guard, so he's got the backup point guard role, and that enables them to play more wings, to play Bacon, to play Graham, to play Lamb, to play Batum, to play Kid Gilchrist. All these guys will start getting minutes, and I think it will be at the expense of Carter-Williams. Marvin Williams... 13 points in 21 minutes, so that the minutes obviously aren't ideal, while Frank the Tank, 8-5 and five in 26, no value for Frank in 12-teamers. Malik Monk, only 6 points, didn't shoot well, but added 8 assists, and if he can add that to his game, that's really interesting, and we've seen this so much with these Kentucky players. They come out of Kentucky, and they show completely different skills in the NBA over the last couple of years. Trey Lyles is one of them. Carl Anthony Towns didn't shoot any threes in Kentucky. Um, Devin Booker came out as a completely different guy and can handle the ball and pass. Jamal Murray is now a point guard and never played it in Kentucky. And Malik Monk, the same thing, play off the ball and they come out of the NBA. You know what? Shit, I'm a point guard. I can do this. And it feels like that's correct, that he can do it. So that's an extra thing to add to his game, um, apart from just the shooting. Jeff Teague was really strong for Minnesota. My name is Jeff. 18, 5, and 12. Carl Anthony Towns had 16 and 9. And Jim Butler only took six shots. The... Apparent freezing out of Jim Butler in Minnesota is very, very strange. 13-6 and six with two triples. And like I talked about with the Cavs, that's on Thibodeau. Like, get Butler the ball. Get Stop having all these other players take so many shots. Jamal Crawford taking 12. Taj Gibson taking 9. Wigo taking 12. Now, there's no real egregious offender here taking monster, monster amounts of shots. But some nights there is. And some nights it's Wigo. Butler is a really, really good buy-low guy. But he is struggling to fit in here in Minnesota. Had the questions, yeah, do I add Gorgie Jeng? He played 19 minutes and had a 15 and 11 double-double. That's fantastic. No doubt about that. That is a fantastic performance from Jing. Getting a double-double in under 20 minutes is great. But he got to the line 10 times and hit nine free throws. That is an unsustainable level of free throws. He just isn't going to get to the line that many times. That's nine points there. So you take away seven of those, and then we're talking about eight and 11. It doesn't look quite as sexy. He's still getting basically just the backup minutes behind Kyle Anthony Towns, who was bothered by foul trouble again, and it was a blowout. So nothing to really see there for Jeng in 12s and probably 14-team leagues also. The Oklahoma City Thunder and the Portland Trailblazers. Carmelo Anthony was ejected for a horrible, horrible call. He, he did hit Yusuf Nurkic in the face with an elbow. It wasn't intentional, and he shouldn't have been ejected. There will be no suspension incoming for Mallow, I wouldn't have thought. 15-6 and six for him in his time. Paulie George had 27-5, and five, while Russ had 25-6-9. and nine. Steve Adams wasn't the greatest night. Still had a steal and a block, but 4-4 four and four in 31 minutes is not fantastic. But I think the biggest thing to pay some attention to in OKC is Jeremy Grant, who played 28 minutes here, 8-7 and seven with a steal and a block. The minutes are coming. The defensive numbers are there. He does have some value as a streamer type. He's owned in 4% of Yahoo League. So your 14 and 16 team leagues, you need to be having a look, see if Jeremy Grant can actually help your team because he's getting consistent minutes. For the Blazers, Dame Lillard was great once more. 36, 5, and 13. Super efficiency. 15 of 15 from the line is massive. That could have swung free throw percentage categories this week in head-to-head leagues. Yusuf Nurkic, um, yeah, he's rolling as well. 25 and 8 with three steals and two blocks, while CJ had 22 and 3 with six triples. Those guys putting up big numbers. The rest of the team, not so much. 
Mo Harkless, six and four, a steal and a block. He's pretty much going to give you a steal and block every night, which can be valuable. But we know that he's just not going to do much else in those other categories. While Noah Vonley played 24 on a start, had one and eight with one block. He is a rebound streamer. He's getting some blocks. But I feel that the way that Vonley is playing, or the way they're playing Vonley, is going to limit Al Farouk Aminu when he comes back. I wouldn't be expecting 30 plus minutes a night for Aminu once he returns from that ankle injury. The last game of the night, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Grizzlies were without Chandler Parsons, who was resting. Wayne Selden, who continues to be out with whatever random uh, leg injury this is that he has got. Tyreek Evans took over again. 26-1-2. Three triples. Has to be owned, clearly. Mike Conley, 23-5-3, is still on a block. The Mike Conley panickers, you should hopefully be feeling okay, or you'll be feeling shitouts because you sold him for Derek Rose. Brandon Wright backed up his big game with another big game. 8-5 with a steal and two blocks in 17 minutes. Jerome Martin is just not going to get it done, and and Wright is taking some of those minutes. Marcus Gasol was pretty good, 15, 10, and 7, while Dylan Brooks made another start, 13, and 3. Andy Harrison, he is cooked, he is done. Forget about him, because Ben McLemore did make his return in the G League today. Him and Selden are both coming back. There's going to be no minutes for Harrison. Brooks's minutes are going to drop, as will Jerome Martin's, and potentially Jim Ennis, who played 41 in this one. I don't think that's a realistic expectation for him moving forward. He's more of a 14-team league guy. For the Lakers, Contavious Coral Pope hurt his hip but came back in. 15-7 and seven for KCP, a steal in a bl- and a block in the big victory. We know he's up and down, but he should still be owned in, in most leagues. While Geordie Clarkson had another strong game, 15-4-5 with two steals. The shooting percentages are unrealistic for Clarkson. The minutes are what I really look at. And while he is having some value now for 12-team leagues, I'm just not sure that it's going to stick long-term. He only played 20 minutes, and that appears like what he's going to do most nights. The Brook Lopez Warriors also, 31 minutes, 21 points, four triples with five assists and two blocks. The minutes are fine there. While Brandon Ingram, he looks fine. He doesn't look great, but he looks fine. 20 points, seven rebounds, one assist, definitely can be owned. While Kyle Kuzma played 38 minutes and had a 13-12 and double-double, one assist, zero steals, zero blocks. That's what's always going to keep his fantasy rank down. He should be owned, but there is limitations to what he can do. Well, Julius Randle, only 17 minutes, 12, 8, 3, the steal and a block. Useful enough to be owned in 12-team leagues, but his upside is pretty capped. Lonzo Ball cannot shoot for shit at the moment. He hit 3 of 13 shots for 9 points, but added 5 rebounds, added 9 assists, and I still believe that that is a valuable player in fantasy leagues. All right, that uh, does it for the uh, the seasonal part of the show. I am going to take a, a quick break, and then uh, we're going to be back to look at the three games we have got for DFS on Tuesday. We've got another new uh, band to feature here for one of their songs. It's a band by the name of Big School, and I've got a bunch of their songs here. I'm just going to pick one of them, and I'm going to play their song called Doubts. The band is called Big School, and I'll be back in a minute to uh, to talk about DFS for Monday.
action for Monday's games. There are three of them, but before we get into that, let's look at the perfect DFS lineups on FanDuel. We go to Tyler Johnson of the Miami Heat, who uh, put up 32.9, Dame Lillard, 62.5, Dwayne Wade, 48, Jim Harden, 76.9, Jeff Green, 22.8, Joshie Richardson, 29.4, Chris S. Porzingis, 68, Gorgie Jeng, 28, and Hassan Whiteside, 54.9, for a total of 423.7, and that costs 59700 On DraftKings, Freddie Van Vliet, 23.75, Jim Harden, 83.5, Marcus Smart, 41, Gorgie Jeng, 30.25. Paul Zingas at 64. Jeff Teague at 47.25. Norm Powell at 30.75. And Dame Lillard at 64.75. And that's a total of 385.25 for a cost of $50,000. Let's get into these three games. Now, before I do, I just I have to mention again, my phone is going absolutely bananas with these notifications on these Derek Rose comments. As soon as I get off here, I have to block these two idiots. Oh, I cannot take these uh, I cannot take these notifications. I reckon I've had 70 notifications in the time that I've been... Uh, actually, let's have a look. The time that I've been podcasting this or recording this, I'm going to see how many notifications I've actually got. Twitter will only tell me up to 100. Um, 99 plus. There you go. In the time, in the time that uh, I have uh, been recording this, over 100 notifications in this, uh, in this Derek Rose, whatever this is that's going on. Boston and Atlanta, uh, the Hawks and the Celtics both on a back-to-back here. The Celtics are favored by eight, and the total is 205.5. The only guy that's questionable in this one is Malcolm Delaney. Marcus Morris is out on the second half of a back-to-back. If Delaney doesn't go, then there's more minutes for Isaiah Taylor, who we saw play really well against the Cavs. At point guard in this one, Dennis Schroeder is at 7,800. While that might feel like it's a little bit too high, given there's only six teams playing, only three games on, I really like Schroeder here. I really like his ability to get 35 to 40 points and feel pretty consistent about it. Isaiah Taylor at 3,300, that'd be a GPP play for sure. In fact, the dude's averaging 21 points over his last three games. That might even be useful in cash, especially if Delaney is out. He can hit those shots. He can get his three. So Isaiah Taylor, maybe you want to look at him. Uh, Kyrie's at 9,500. He has had a pretty good record against Struder and the Hawks before. That salary's up there. I'm not sure I want to spend it there, especially given we don't have massive, massive bargains on the slate, but you could always use Irving and, and expect to get at least 40 plus in this one here. At shooting guard, Terry Rozier at 3,700. I just don't trust the minutes for Rozier, but that salary is okay. If I'm looking for a cheap guy in cash to maybe squeeze Irving in, I can get 18 or 20 out of Rozier and that's, a, that's okay at that price. Kenty Bazemore at 5,600, putting up some you know, really promising numbers. Ballinelli's been limited recently. Again, not a massive Bazemore fan, but I'm okay with him at this price on this sort of a slate while Marcus Smart went off today. But 5,900 for Marcus feels a little bit too high. I'd throw him in a tournament because we saw what today. He scored only 11 real-life points, but he put up 43 Fangio points. That's a big, big difference. So you can, uh, you can have a go at him in a tournament, but I don't feel super about him. At small forward, Torian Prince, love him in cash and tournaments. 5,900 for Princey there, while Jalen Brown at 5,700, I'd say the same there. I could use him in both cash and in tournaments also. At power forward, we've got the Baptist, John Collins, 5,800. He put up 32 today and he's averaging 27 over his past five and 30 and a half over his past three. I feel like he is really strong with Ilya Sober and Muscala out. I feel like he is going to have, and he doesn't, if he gets 30 minutes, it is over. If he gets 20 minutes, he can easily break that value. We've seen that from him this season. Lukey Babbitt at 3,800, love that. No Muscala, no Ilya Sober. Put up 30 today, Lukey. At 3,800, if any gives you 20, he's, uh, he's winning. 
Jason Tatum at 5,800. I'd fade him for a, for a Baptist or a, a Lukey Babbitt at that sort of a price. Daniel Tice, with Morris out, he's going to get more minutes, but I'm not feeling too much excitement there about him. At center, Bainesy, 3,900. I'd be okay with looking at him as a tournament. He could move back into the starting lineup with Morris out, so there's something there. Plus, you know, big men have had some decent success against the Hawks this season, so I'd be okay looking at Bainesy there. While the undertaker, Dwayne Dedman, 4,800. That feels just too high for me. While I'm, I am interested in Al Horford at 7,500, he, you can talk revenge games all you want. In the games that he's played against Atlanta, he's averaging 24 points. So he's not you know, putting up big numbers against them. But again, given the, the state of this slate, I think Horford is, is a solid option. And he is getting rebounds with a lot more regularity this season than what we've seen from him in the past. Flip this over to DraftKings. I like the uh, GPP value of Aaron Baines, and I like these other guys for both tournaments and uh, cash games. The Baptist, John Collins, Babbitt, The Undertaker is a better, much better option on DraftKings. Schroeder, Prince, Horford, and Baysmore, while Marcus Smart at 5,100 comes in pretty strong over on DraftKings as well. Let's move on to the next one now, and that is Brooklyn. And Phoenix, no spread currently listed for this one. Trevor Booker is questionable for Brooklyn and Quincy Acey is probable. Jarrett Allen has been ruled out already for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, let's take a look at uh, the FanDuel plays for point guard. Mike James and Tyler Eulis, 5,800 for Jamesy. Eulis at 4,300. It's a really good matchup against Brooklyn, but you can't trust either of these guys in cash. In a tournament, you probably want to save the 1,500 and take Tyler Eulis. He played more minutes today, but was outplayed. But that could change literally every game between these two. And 5,800 for Mike James just doesn't feel like a sound investment. Spencer Dinwiddie is at 5,300. I'd feel more confident about him in cash than using it on Eulis and James, but... Given the fact that the the Nets are relatively healthy now, it's harder for him to get 29 minutes. He feel like feels like he's going to be locked in at 23 or 24. At shooting guard, Karis Levert's at 5,300. He has struggled this season. There's no doubt about that, but he's hitting 22% of his threes. He was a 46% three-point shooter at Michigan. He was at 34%, I believe, last year. He's also shooting like 12 or 13% worse on two-pointers this year. All those things, at some point, they are going to come back up. Maybe not to the level last year. I think he shot 56% on his twos last season. Levert, he might not come back to that level. But I feel pretty good he's not going to stay around the 43% where he is. So if there's a defense where you're going to have that opportunity to come back against, the Suns could be it. So I like him as a tournament play. D'Angelo Russell was pretty good against against his old team, LA. Put up 41 there. He's at 8,000. I think another 40-point game is definitely in the uh, in the beckoning for D'Angelo. Well, Devin Booker didn't do a huge amount, but 8,200. I'm happy to be back on Booker here to get 40 against the Nets. He did pretty well against them the last time out. At small forward, the Blue Swimmers at 4,600. Alan Crabb, um, GPPs only for Crabb, really. TJ Warren at 6,200, maybe a little bit too high, while Joshy Jackson at 37 is not really doing it for me. Damari Carroll, I like Damari, but 6,200 is probably a little high. I don't really think there's much tournament upside in Carroll, but I would be not too fussed with, uh, with him in cash. He'd be okay. He's a take-it-or-leave-it sort of a player. Power forwards, Marquise Chris is bad, but he's at 4,300. And if there's an opportunity for a big man to go off, Brooklyn is that opportunity. Great opportunity for him. And I've said opportunity too many times, but this is, this is it for him. He is at 4,300 and you have absolutely no business in using him in a cash lineup, but in a tournament, it could work. I like Rondé Hollis Jefferson at 6,700, been putting up 30 minutes a night, 30 plus points a night. Really strong situation there. Well, Dragon Bender at 3,800, more of a tournament guy than anything else. At center, we've got Tyson Chandler and we've got Alex Len. Uh, actually, I think Alex Len. Oh, yeah, Alex Len. Um, Chandler's at 4,900. 
I think that's not bad for cash. I feel pretty good about getting 20 out of Chandler. Getting 30, probably not though. While Len put up a, a decent 25 points today at 4,500, and someone against the Nets is going to someone big is going to some big man is going to put up numbers. So Chandler can be your GPP option in this one. Let's flip over to DraftKings and have a look where the value lies. There's a lot of GPP options. Levert, Chandler, Crab, Eulis, James, Bender, and Chris. Well, the only guys I really like for cash over on DraftKings is Damari and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Let's move on now to what is the last game of the night, and that is the Miami Heat and the Golden State Warriors. We don't know the status of Dion Waiters, whether he'll be rejoining the team. I would assume at this point that he won't. And you'll be looking at a boost for guys like Tyler Johnson at Joshy Richardson and the Duke Wayne Allington having some value here. At point guard in this one, Johnson's at 3,900. I feel really strongly about using Tyler. That's assuming that Dion is out, but I feel pretty good about assuming that as well. Steph's at 10,000. I think that 50 from Steph against the Heat is, is not too much to ask, especially with them coming off a back-to-back. This could be a, an evisceration. So I like Steph at 10,000 on the limited slate. The iron shoulder, Goran Dragic at 7,000. I'd probably fade him in this situation, to be honest. At shooting guard, Waiters at 6,100. I won't be putting that in for the last game of the night when we might not know if he's actually with the team or not. Clay's at 7,200, more of a tournament type of a guy, while Pat McCaw and the Duke, they're both 3,000 minimum players. I'd look at Wayne Allington more as a tournament type of guy over uh, over McCaw. Joshy Richardson's at 4,800, put up 29 today. I like him in a tournament here, especially if Waiters is out, while Durant at 10-5 is strong for both cash and tournaments. Uh, Iguodala, the other small forward on the slate, doesn't do anything to excite me. Draymond's at 8,600 on FanDuel. That just feels too high. I'm just not interested in Draymond at that sort of a price, nor Alinek, nor Dave West. Jim Johnson's at 6,400 also feels a little bit high, but I, I would be okay putting him into a tournament because he could put up one of those crazy like 16, 10, 8, 4 steal, 5 block nights, which nets him 60 points, and that is the sort of upside you're looking for as a tournament type of guy. At center, we've got Hassan Whiteside at 8,700. Yeah, centers do get eviscerated against the Warriors, but he's got a good record, 46 points the last three times out against Golden State. If you get 46 at 8,700, you're feeling pretty good. Even if you just get 40, I think that's not a bad return. So Hassan's okay here. Not great, but okay. While the other centers, we're talking about Zazar and JaVale, and there's not really a lot to like there. On DraftKings, some more cash plays in this game. Joshy Richardson, Steph Curry, Durant, Draymond, and Hassan Whiteside are all usable in cash and in tournaments, while Clay, more of a GPP sort of a player, and Jim Johnson at 6,300. I think he's more of a fade. And Tyler Johnson at 4,400. He, I'm in on that if Dion is out. If Dion plays, probably wouldn't be looking at Tyler Johnson there. Let's take a look at some uh, action over on Yahoo DFS, some guys that I like. The Baptist, John Collins and Tyson Chandler, Lukey Babbitt, Rondé, Kent Bazemore, Torian Prince and Jalen Brown. I think they all have some cash value, as does Marcus Smart, Damari Carroll, Jason Tatum, Al Horford and Draymond Green. Dennis Schroeder also. The tournament type guys, Alan Crabb, Eulis, Baines, Levert, Bender, Chris, Joshy Richardson uh, for the for Yahoo. On Moneyball for you guys in Australia, the tournament players I like, Bainesy, the blue swimmer, Alan Crabb, Marquise Chris, The Undertaker, Dwayne Dedman, Dragon Bender, Joshy Richardson are some tournament type upside plays. And for cash, I like the Baptist, John Collins, Draymond, Al Horford, Chandler, Prince, Jalen Brown, D'Angelo, Rondé, Tatum, Durant, Babbitt, Warren, Irving, and Steph. And then to finish it off, on Draft Stars for tournaments, Mike James is worth a look here. Tyler Eulis, Levert, Baines, and Bender. 
Alan Crabb also in the mix. And for cash and tournaments, Babbitt Chandler, The Baptist, D'Angelo, KD, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Bazemore Prince, Horford Schroeder, Jalen Brown, Steph, and Jason Tatum. Don't forget that you can check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network wherever good podcasts are sold, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify, and leave us a review is the best way of helping the show. Check out Basketball Monster as well, and shout out to the Derek Rose stands for keeping it, I was going to say keeping it real, but keeping it as unreal as possible. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Thank you to Big School for providing their song for today's show. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Terry Stotts.